The Start On Demand. On demand. One hundred and twenty kilometer an hour wind. That's what one weather app on my phone says is coming this weekend as we get ready for our first blast of winter. So we're going to speak to Environment Canada again to try to get some answers as to what can we expect. We'll also discuss a global news exclusive: the federal government cutting reimbursements for military health care, leaving hospitals on the hook for millions of dollars, and our military personnel out of luck. Experts say asking your employee to get a sick note is a public health risk. Manitoba drivers might not be as friendly as our license plates suggest. And Loren speaks to the Shoop Dog, a professor on parking. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb. This is the Wednesday, October 9th podcast for The Start. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, and I am confused <laughs> when I look at the various weather apps that are on my phone. I've got the Weather Network, I've got Environment Canada, I've got AccuWeather. AccuWeather is the most alarming. Actually, it was one of our listeners, Denis, or Dennis, I'm not entirely sure, it's D-E-N-I-S, sent me an email saying AccuWeather is calling for 40 to 60 centimeters, <laughs> and I'm looking at their forecast, and hang on, I'm just going to pull it up here. Because Saturday is A, the bomber game, and then B... You also have a a, wedding, right? I'm going to a wedding at Pine Ridge Hollow. I'm the MC and best man. And for Saturday, they are calling for blizzard conditions. And get this, north wind 46 to 120 kilometers an hour. That's quite the range. That's the AccuWeather app? Yeah. But But then if you go to the Weather Network... On Saturday, they're calling for no higher than 61 kilometers an hour. Oh, 61 kilometers per hour. Walk in the park. Yeah, I mean, it's still awful. <laughs> Pedestrian stuff. But- well, it's. I just got off the phone with Environment Canada because, of course, we'll be talking about this for the next, I don't know, it feels like nine months. And <laughs> he said, I said to him, so just so, you know, I'm just to clear up this uh forecast from one of the apps that has blizzard warnings and he says oh cool yeah he's like well it's possible depending on how the snow falls and where it sticks and what kind of wind speeds we get we're still early out but i love the environment canada guys who are like <laughs> respond with oh cool and the rest of us are responding with oh my lord mm-hmm. well there are those of us in, in this building who get really excited about politics tornadoes <laughs> we have individuals who have their own little quirks and and interests that uh, get very excited about things that un- interest none of us this is interesting for everyone but maybe just not in the same way right because it's going to affect everyone's lives of course the blue bombers you mentioned it Brett and uh boy uh your buddy and his bride to be must be on pins and needles right now looking at this forecast but uh there're going to be thousands of people planning to attend the Blue Bomber game on Saturday. I guess the only question, will it be the world's largest snow globe come Saturday? (laughs) You know, I know it doesn't have a roof, but it has two semi sort of roofs over the seating area. So uh, I don't think we're going to be talking about much else over the next couple of days, although we've got tons of things to discuss. Yeah, we have, uh, for example, we before I forget to mention this, you have the opportunity on Facebook and Instagram to win stuff. So on Facebook, we have put up our, Ma- we've been giving the Mavericks tickets away at 9.15, but today we're going to do the zombies at 9.15, because at on Facebook, you can win tickets to see the Mavericks. They're playing Burton Cummings Theater Tuesday, October 22nd, and if you win the tickets, you will qualify for a meet and greet with the band. We'll announce who won that on Friday. So all you got to do on Facebook is answer the question or give us your best road rage story because Mm. at uh, 707 or no, sorry, at 645, pardon me, we're talking about this survey from MPI that says Manitoba drivers not as friendly as the plates suggest. Yeah. 30% of us admitting to road rage. That's pretty high. And and that's who are willing to admit it. Right. So you know the actual number is really high. Speaking of high, Loren, the river's pretty high. Oh, and you know, uh, we were just talking about this yesterday about the possibility of how high the river's been rising due to all the rain we've been getting and whether or not the floodway would need to be put into action. Yesterday, the answer was 
no, or at least not yet. And then last night, a warning went out from the province saying, yep, listen, we're watching a lot of this system moving in. And that means as soon as tonight, they could be putting the floodway into action to pull some of that water off the red and divert it around the city. So we've got calls out about that. I'm not sure I recall the last time that happened this late into the season. It it's probably has happened before, but it shows you how remarkable the amounts of rain have been. And of course, again, with more precipitation and snow possibly coming, they're obviously watching it quite seriously. Also, I'm just going to circle back here because it wasn't quite done yet, guys. And I had two contests to tell you about, but uh, you just quickly throw it off the rails. It's like hurting cats, two of you, sometimes. I'm just going to sit silently now. Sorry, Brett. Instagram, we have Miranda Lambert tickets up for grabs. You can win those tickets if you answer the question, do you have a sick note story? Because that's what we're doing at 707. We're talking about sick notes and why experts say it's actually a public health risk to get your employees to get sick notes. So on Instagram, find the post, weigh in if you have a sick note story for your chance to win Miranda Lambert tickets. She's coming to Winnipeg next May. I, for example, I remember I had to miss an abnormal psychology exam when I was 19 years old at the University of Manitoba, and the prof said I needed a sick note. I had the chicken pox, and I basically had to just call the doctor and say, Hi, I have the chicken pox. I need a sick note. I'm coming. And they, I felt like I was... They, like I was in a quarantine. I walked in with my hoodie on. I looked disgusting. And they basically said, yeah, just wait over in the corner and we'll get you to see someone uh, in a second. So I finally I got in to see a doctor. They She gave me a sick note. looked like I, she wanted to hose me down with a, with a fire hydrant. <laughs> and I went home and uh, felt sorry for myself. I'm surprised they didn't have one of those uh, two-way locking doors like they have at Appelt Jewelers. <laughs> In the vestibule. With, yeah. the, with the smoker, the, the steam that comes out. To... <laughs> Fumigate you beforehand. Little speaker. Yes, Mr. McGarry, we'll have your note for you in just a moment. It'll come down from the ceiling. You can take it and please leave immediately. <laughs> That's exactly how I felt. But think about that. You go into a doctor's office and you're like, you're obviously contagious i would suspect at that stage just to get the the note that and now everybody else in that office is like well thanks a lot well, like, you've started something now there's no yeah. question actually i think i think chicken pox and I, I and one of our listeners can correct me if i'm wrong but i think you're contagious before you show symptoms i can't remember i mean it's God, once it's you get the spots you're of, out of the yeah, contagious yeah, realm I think, I think at that point you're just mm. suffering but i don't know uh, You're contagious one to two days before rash until the chickenpox lesions have crusted or scabbed. Were you scabby? Oh yeah, yeah, it uh. was brutal. <laughs> well, then I you were good to go. I still have scars on my forehead. Yeah, terrible. It was not fun. I, Sorry, that reminds man. me. I keep I keep meaning to get the shingles. Yeah, nineteen for the chickenpox. I think I was about five or six, but I still remember it. Still remember those three or four days on the couch for for sure. Hey, if you're of a certain age, thanks to Kevin the Garbage Man uh, for sending this text message. Welcome back, Cotter. Great show with John Travolta once upon a time. And there was a character on there named Epstein, Juan Epstein, if I remember correctly. And he would have sick notes all the time. But of course, it was in Juan's handwriting, and it would just be signed <laughs> Epstein's mother. <laughs> please, please excuse Juan early from class. Please excuse Juan for missing school yesterday. Signed Epstein's mother. The federal government has drastically reduced its healthcare budget for the Canadian Armed Forces, and the controversial move means hospitals will be paid less for helping military members, meaning the provinces are now left trying to pick up the slack. Global's Mercedes Stevenson now with this exclusive. Canadian troops don't have provincial health care cards. They cut them up when they join the forces. Their health care becomes the military's responsibility and they see military doctors. But the Department of National Defence doesn't provide full-spectrum care. When more advanced procedures are needed, troops use the same hospitals and doctors as civilians. And the military reimburses the hospitals. But this spring, a major change. Multiple sources told Global News orders came from inside DND to cut health care spending. One of the first targets, fees charged by hospitals for seeing military patients. 
In a move that stunned the provinces across the country, the military quietly announced major cuts to what it will pay for hospital services without warning or consultation. Estimates obtained by Global News show drastic cuts to what the military will now cover. From paying $359 for an ER visit to $93.70, a decrease of almost 75%, and for day surgery, a drop of 96%. And the military will no longer pay for CT scans or MRIs that cost $700 to $800 each. Documents obtained by Global News show hospitals are anticipating a major shortfall as a result. An estimated $10.5 million in Ontario and in Alberta, at least $2 million. This will mean an increasing strain on their resources if they don't have the same financial uh, amounts coming in, which will mean that they will uh, likely have to uh, cut back on some of the services that they offer. Military sources privately told Global News that the health care budget has been ballooning for years and they are under pressure to find savings. Defence analyst David Perry warns it could be a risky move. Department of Defence that spent several years saying that their people are their priority, uh, it's going to look bad if one of the areas where there's uh, an effort to reduce spending is on the health side. But some in the military health care system think the feds are being gouged by hospitals and insist the new rates are more fair. Alberta and Ontario disagree, saying the new rates do not accurately reflect the full cost of delivering health care to CAF members. DND acknowledged the cuts to Global News but insists it's working actively with provincial and territorial governments and civilian hospitals with respect to the billing changes. The fear now that military members actively serving their country could be denied services or told to pay out of pocket. Two sources told Global News that one Ontario hospital is already refusing military members MRI slots, leaving troops in limbo in a battle they never signed up for. Mercedes Stevenson, Global News, Mississauga. We've reached out to the province and the health minister here to see what impact this might be having already on hospitals here or how they're bracing for this change and and what their message is to veterans in terms of coverage. We were told the health minister wasn't available to speak with us this morning, but I do know behind the scenes they're working on getting us some of those answers. But you hear that last example, a Mercedes story, that there's already one hospital in Ontario that's saying no to veterans when it comes to those MRI slots because of funding concerns. I can only imagine what this is doing to any veteran out there thinking, well, hang on, I served my country and now I'm coming back here and I, I don't get to even get a spot, let alone be first in line. It's it's pretty concerning. Loren, this is affecting veterans and active service members, correct? Absolutely. Yeah, and as so- I understand it, it's, I mean, what I didn't know about the system was that they cut up their health cards, so to speak, right, as soon as they join because the responsibility becomes the military responsibility. So as I understand it, this would be active or um, retired military army personnel, uh, any any vet of any sort. I can't imagine, first and foremost, how any military member, former or present, could be less than anyone else in the eyes of the healthcare system. And there seems to be potentially two arbitrary decisions going on here. I would like to know about negotiations and, and whether there have been any and what they look like. Two arbitrary decisions in my mind. One is the military and the Canadian government essentially deciding not to pay these bills. And also on the other side, the fact that Hospitals, you heard it in Mercedes Stevenson report, uh, lots of people feeling that the military is being gouged by the various provincial systems. Who made those priceless, so to speak? Who set the cost of the variety of services, testing, MRIs to everything else on the, on the menu of healthcare services? Who made the decision as to what was going to be charged and who agreed to pay it in the first place? I think there are, are, are lots of levels to this. I don't think anybody would question the idea that, you know, any industry, so to speak, wants to watch its bottom line and double check what they're being charged and why they're being charged something. So you raise a good point, Greg, about the money. What is this costing? And, and is there something to be said about whether or not the system is being uh, misappropriate, you know, not being used properly or if someone is gouging somewhere along the way? But on the other hand, caught in the middle 
are the soldiers and the armed forces and, and anybody who's served this country or is serving this country. And so if you're waking up this morning to that news, that's that's upsetting. It's, and, you know, it comes one day after our federal debate where one of our most loyal listeners uh, texted in yesterday saying, yep, didn't hear anything again about the military mm-hmm. or veterans, right? And here we are in the midst of an election campaign hearing this news. So way more questions than answers at this point, but alarming, especially when you considering it was just one year ago, right around this time, that we were talking about the fact that the Liberal government had left about $372 million meant to help veterans and their families on the table. It was unspent money that they had just sitting there. So there is that money out there, but then there's questions being raised about not having enough money for some services. So so where's the truth? Yeah, the shift with Drex overnight was talking about that money sitting on the table and how Trudeau and the last campaign chastised Harper and the Conservatives for leaving a billion dollars on the table and now here we are and they've done something similar. Now a spokesperson for Defence Minister Hajit Sajjan said in a statement on his behalf late Tuesday night Quote, I can assure you that high-quality health care services are and will continue to be provided to the women and men of our Canadian Armed Forces. Our government reversed the cuts that the Harper Conservatives put on the women and men of our armed forces. Our defense policy put people at its heart. As it stands, when a member of the Canadian Armed Forces gets care in a hospital, they are charged more for the same service than a Canadian because they wear a uniform. That is wrong. You can read more at globalnews.ca and we'll have much more on this throughout the morning do we have some we've got something at 807 on this right loren yeah mercedes is going to join us and help us get some of the answers to the questions we've been asking she filed that report last night and of course has been learning more over the last 24 hours we have a listener who's texted in now to say that he's a veteran or she could be a veteran and that the cuts aren't affecting the veterans it's current military members and so if you're a veteran you might be covered under manitoba health it might be more the active members that this is impacting so again this is the question one of the questions we'll have for mercedes right after eight. One other question from a listener wondering if this affects RCMP as well, if they have a similar situation where uh, they do not have the coverage in the province that they're serving in. We'll have to ask that question. I know at least one member of the RCMP that I might be able to reach out and find out what the situation is there, but I think it's a very good question. going to set up our next segment with A clip of a video sent to us by one of our most loyal listeners, Eve. Mr. Walker owns a motor car and considers himself a good driver. But once behind the wheel, a strange phenomenon takes place. Mr. Walker is charged with an overwhelming sense of power. His whole personality changes. Abruptly, he becomes an uncontrollable monster, a demon driver. Mr. Walker is now Mr. Wheeler. A motor. Hey, Keith, watch where you're going, stupid. That is from a 1950 cartoon called Goofy Motor Mania, oh, where yes. Goofy is portraying Mr. Walker, mild-mannered average guy who becomes violent Mr. Wheeler when he's behind the wheel. And we're talking about that because the headline at CJOB.com reads, Manitoba drivers not as friendly as plates suggest. This according to an MPI survey. Loren McNabb, what's the snapshot here? Well, they took a, they asked drivers to respond with what their thoughts are when it comes to A, that friendly Manitoba notion, but also the whole idea of road rage. And three in 10 Manitobans responded that they had actually, uh, participated the right word, responded with road rage <laughs> at some point in their driving history. And so that had us asking and thinking, well, what are the things that really get your blood boiling? Or are you the type of driver that can actually just calmly work your way? down the road without responding with any rage. Well, sometimes it's the actions of other drivers that get you infuriated, like maybe you see somebody run a yellow light or a red light, and in the same survey, four in 10 drivers admitted to weaving in and out of traffic, and Jeff Braun, I don't know about you, one of my pet peeves is when people use that curb lane as the speed passing lane, (laughs) as opposed to getting prepared to turn off onto a side street. 
I don't like that. I, any sort of that's what kind of aggressive weaving in and out of traffic is ridiculous. I always look as like to make sure there's not like a a woman going into labor in the passenger seat or something because that is the only time where it's like why else you'd get there maybe a minute before you would otherwise. It's just not worth the risk. It's so stupid. That and tailgating. Tailgating's a big problem. And if you're on my tail thinking I'm going to speed up, all you're going to do is make me slow down. Same here. I'm exactly the same way, <laughs> Jeff. I had a guy on my tail yesterday. I was heading eastbound up Academy, and there was a guy in uh, some sort of SUV right on my tail for blocks. And he kept he kept darting into the curb lane to try to get around me, but there's so many parked cars on yeah, Academy. Yeah. He eventually gave up <laughs> until, until it, it, the parked cars ended, and then he sped past me. Uh, to which I hope he got a speeding ticket because there's always a car just waiting when you get around the bend by Kelvin there. But, uh, yeah, tailgating drives me insane. And I also hate, and I realize this could all, maybe I should actually embrace this a little more because it, it plays into the whole zipper merge thing. But when you're waiting in a lane, you're, you've, you've patiently waited and then people just take the, the empty lane and zip up to the front. Like, you know that they've been waiting behind you and then they've just decided to speed up. But I guess that... Maybe that just has to do with I need to the, get used to the They're just doing merge. what they're supposed to do, Brett. Yeah, I was, you got to get <laughs> over to get back in, man. So was, you're the one that I'm mad at when I'm out there because it's the zipper merge. It's the people's hatred of the zipper merge that makes me want to like put a sign in my car and say, people, I'm doing the right thing. Calm down. Get over to get back in. I like that. Yeah, you got to get over to get back in. We no, should make I, t-shirts like that. I've been in that situation where I've been like waiting for somebody to let me in and nobody's letting me in. And like I fall everything right like I wasn't speeding to go past anyone I just end up being in that lane that cuts off and I didn't see it was going to cut off and nobody's letting me in and that's when I get ragey I'd let you in I think oh, it's well, thank you I think wow. it's getting better I because I many times uh, on the way home I go across the Louise Bridge and that's one of the uh, great zipper areas uh, mm-hmm. of Winnipeg especially at rush hour uh, but, you know, I'm going to defend people who avoid getting caught in the left turn hang up uh, because I, I do that quite a bit. Now, I don't speed around somebody uh, that's that's turning left when I uh, take the curb lane. But why should I have to sit there and wait for five minutes if there is no traffic behind me or it is certainly safe? To cut into the curb lane to go around somebody that is turning left. I'm talking about people, in particular, on three-lane thoroughfares. I'm thinking of Henderson Highway here, who use that curb lane as the expressway lane and are speeding. They're going over 60. That lane is for if you're turning in the next couple of blocks. That's not for you to, to make headway and get ahead of the pack. That's not what that lane is there for, because you're also causing problems for people trying to turn onto the street. Anyway, one of my that's one of my pet peeves. One of our listeners says, um, funny that you guys are on this topic today. A guy took a picture of me looking at my GPS at a red light yesterday and proceeded to call me a loser <laughs> and other colorful nouns. I promptly asked him if he would like to pull over and settle the dispute, oh. and he declined. Thank goodness. I did definitely lose my cool and followed him for a few blocks. No excuses. I was definitely in the wrong <laughs> looking on my phone while in traffic. However, I was provoked, in my opinion, by his choice of words. I feel bad today about it and will definitely think twice about looking at my phone while in traffic. Wow. And that's all it takes, right? I mean, when you're, it's just like that cartoon. Something, there's something about being behind the wheel where your proclivity to anger can just snap in an instant. I've become a raging, screaming monster. Does it hang on with you, though? Because I do that, like, if someone cuts me off, I'll scream. Swears at them for about three seconds, and then I'm singing my song again. And it's, and did, it, did like they it just, hear you? No. Oh, they. It, I, it depends how big they are. <laughs> <laughs> if they look smaller than me, the window might be down. If they're not, they keep the window up. You know, but but it just it it fades as quick as it comes on me. It just uh, it's just an initial burst, and then I'm fine. When I see that behavior around me, like you know, for example, I hate to keep bringing it back to the zipper merge, but say when I've done that, and I can see the person behind me like throw their hands up in the air with that like. Come on, what are you doing, lady? <laughs> I, I, I want to pull over. I'm only mad when I, because I feel like saying, what? Like, what is your problem? Everybody calm down. You're all in such a hurry that I can't come in here. I'm not being a sneak. So I get more annoyed at other people's reactions. And then that gets me angry. If I see that kind of shaking fist in the air, <laughs> I want to just shake my fist back at them and say, what's your problem? 
Have you ever been asked to get a sick note from the doctor after missing a few days of work? Your boss maybe says, well, I'm going to need to see a note from the doctor because you haven't been here a few a few days. We know that's a practice in some places, and as far as some medical experts are concerned, it needs to stop. In fact, the Canadian Medical Association has deemed the request for a note for work a public health risk, and as flu season prepares to rear its ugly head, or as far as some are concerned, maybe it already has, we've asked the press president of the CMA to explain why. Her name is Dr. Gigi Osler, and she's an ear, nose, and throat surgeon right here in Winnipeg. She joins us over the phone now. Good morning, Dr. Osler. Good morning. Important to talk about, I think, because uh, we've already heard conversations about delays with the flu vaccine, and we know the flu that the flu season starts essentially right now. Do we do we think it's going to be an especially busy year for flu in Manitoba? It always is a busy season between colds and flus, and so here's my public service announcement right off the bat: uh, we're encouraging everybody to get their flu shot this season to help prevent the spread of flu and illness. Dr. Osler, uh, can we have also the idea of going to work under the same circumstances declared a public health risk? Because there are a lot of people who just soldier through whatever illness mm-hmm. that is stricken them. And uh, so it becomes a twofold problem. It's, it's almost easier to come to work than it is to go and get the, the note that your employer requires sometime. Mm-hmm. And, and you're absolutely right. And it's an important discussion to have with cold and flu season starting. And if you think about it, requiring a sick note introduces this unnecessary health risk to the public. Because when sick people who would have otherwise stayed at home now have to go to the doctor's office or the walk-in clinic or the emergency room to get a note saying that they're sick, they're having to go against advice, which would be stay at home, rest and recover, and potentially exposing other people who also may be sick or babies or the elderly to the same virus that they're suffering from. So that's, I think, probably the most compelling reason to say, you know, sick notes shouldn't be necessary. So why is it bad then if it's, if you're, um, in terms of going in to get a doctor's note, uh, what should employers then be doing instead? Should they just tell their people to just stay home as long as you need? Well, I'll start by saying I'm not an employment expert, but I've seen a Ministry of Labour workplace review report from Ontario where the stakeholders, so the employers, the employees, insurers, reported that requiring sick notes doesn't provide the employer with more information, and it was costly, especially to the person who's sick, and little value to the employer. And there was also some polls that said, you know, if sick notes were required, most people, 8 out of 10, would go into work sick rather than go get a sick note. So if the requirement of a sick note is to make sure people are um, staying at work and staying healthy, the requirement of a sick note would do the opposite. Because now you've got people who are sick coming into work and spreading the cold or flu amongst their uh, co-workers. Do you think there's something at play there with the idea, though, that there are also so many people who come into work because it seemed to be a problem if you're that person calling in sick or you don't want to be the one that lets your co-workers down? So in addition to the worry maybe about the sick note, culturally, we're still at a place where we say, oh, well, that person's sick a lot or that person takes a lot of sick days. What do we do with that? Mm-hmm. And that's a good point. And talking about culture, talking about workplace culture, we talk about it in medicine as all well because doctors are notorious for not wanting to let patients down and we go into work sick. So having that discussion amongst ourselves in our workplaces, how can we make our culture and our workplace positive? What can we do to keep our coworkers and employees healthy? is an important one, I think, in all of our workplaces to stay healthy and to make going to work as enjoyable as it can be. Dr. Osler, you mentioned that whole idea of work culture and just this whole thing about the sick note requirement. 
it almost feels like it should be a separate issue. If, if you have an employee that you feel is abusing whatever system you may have in place, that seems more like a human resources issue. It, it seems more like a job performance related issue than it should be a health issue. And it's compromising others' health potentially because you don't see it that way. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as a, an ENT doctor in Winnipeg, certainly around this time of year, I hear from my patients who say, well, you know, there's something going around the office. You know, it starts at this time of year and, you know, people just start getting sick. So from a health perspective, requiring sick notes doesn't make sick people healthy. And it just creates this unnecessary risk of spreading flus and illnesses. And, uh, you know, it's it's just something we're trying to encourage uh, employers and workplaces to think beyond. All right, Dr. Gigi Osler, ear, nose and throat surgeon right here in Winnipeg, past president of the Canadian Medical Association. Thank you very much for the time. We appreciate it. Mackling McGarry and McNabb, we are going to speak with Kayla Evans in more detail about the weather in about four minutes time but before we get to that we want to revisit one of the things that we're talking about today we got a lot of good conversations on the go we were talking about road rage earlier mpi survey saying that we're not as friendly as our license plates suggest and you can keep those texts coming in at 204-780-6868 on road rage and driving behaviors that bother you that infuriate you but at 707 we had a conversation about sick notes and why the Canadian Medical Association says Greg it is a risk to public health to make employees go get them yeah. lots of feedback yeah tons of feedback and this is pretty divisive Lauren I'm going to read a couple here and uh, I know you've got some in front of you I'm just going to read the first two here the purpose of a sick note is when is to prevent people from faking sick uh, stupid Surrey here I got a message here you're less likely to fake it if you have to go see a doctor and then uh, another one of our listeners says fine no sick note no pay easy solution so that's on the uh, argument for the sick notes Loren yeah, and I think that that's where a lot of people are coming from. You know, one listener wrote in to say that there are an increasing number of employees who take off work due to minor illnesses like headaches or sniffles or they're just tired. So getting a doctor note for certain employees is a deterrent to staying home unnecessarily. Many employees, this listener writes, think that sick time is something they're entitled to as opposed to a benefit and therefore sick time is abused. And there's certainly an argument to be made for that. I, I, I'd be curious what percentage of the population, though, is actually abusing those sick days. Is it 4% of your workforce, 10% of your workforce? And therefore, do you, are you okay with letting that slide, you guys, for the others who are always coming in when they're sick? Like, I, I don't, if, if there's five people who want to abuse the system, then that's that's on them. I think the other half of it is the idea that people feel like they have to show up to work. Like this other listener who wrote, my boss requires a sick note after one day and we're not allowed to take more than four sick days a year. It's crazy. Yeah, I know. And look, I know I know people who will call in sick for the next day if they sneeze. Like, mm-hmm. oh, I sneezed. I got to call in sick and take three days off. Whereas I'm the, you know, I'm part of the, the older school, I guess, in our building where if I, I, I unless I'm, I feel like I'm dying, I'm coming to work no matter what. And uh, I have bad allergies, so when I get a cold, I'm constantly blowing my nose. But my management never sends me home. No one ever says, Brett, go home, Mm -hmm. despite the fact that I look and sound terrible. uh, And I'm not asking them to send me home. I made the decision to come into work. But I think with the sick notes, I think that should only be used... If there is someone you suspect is abusing the system, like Greg, for example, if you took three, four days off next week and then three weeks later took another five days off and then another five days off later as your manager, then I might say, you know what, Mm -hmm. I think I'm going to need a sick note. But it shouldn't just be a mandatory policy for everybody that you've got to have a sick note. Well, and that's why I said to Dr. Osler, I think there's a point where this is more of an HR issue and an employee-employer relationship issue versus a sick issue. And the idea of mandating the sick note is kind of the lazy way out of just 
turning a blind eye either to the people that do exactly what you say, Brett, and just having that blanket statement or policy that says you must get a sick note to people that might be better served by not going anywhere near a doctor, staying in bed for three days and just getting better. I think we need to manage our relationships with our employees better as opposed to just these uh, crazy blanket these crazy blanket uh, policies. I'd love to hear from some listeners whose bosses or employers might be doing it differently in terms of what's required and, and moving away from that, you know, normal expectation for that sick note. I know there are some employers out there who also have uh, family days as well as sick days. And so you can you can feel like you can call in and say, look, I'm not sick, but my kids are sick. And so therefore I'm staying home because I, speaking for myself, I've definitely used sick days, not because I'm ill. I use them when my kids are ill. And then when I'm sick, usually drag myself into work because I know the next day the kids are going to get whatever I've got or or vice versa, right? And so I'd like to know who's thinking outside the box with those ideas so that someone can actually use the days for what they're meant to be used. And then on top of that, there's the whole conversation about our mental health. So just because I don't have the flu doesn't mean I might be feeling well to come in that day. We'll continue the conversation on sick notes throughout the morning. You can weigh in on our 680 CJOB Instagram page. Your chance to win Miranda Lambert tickets there. We just need to know if you have a sick note story and you can continue to text us 204-780-6868. But we got a couple of minutes here with global weather specialist Kayla Evans. And Kayla, depending on which app you look at, the forecast is wildly different. AccuWeather, for example, and I'm not saying this is what's going to happen, but they're calling for Saturday, specifically blizzard conditions with wind gusts up to 120 kilometers an hour. Oh, my friends, that's the story of my life. There are dozens, I would say, of different models and different forecasting tools you can look at. And especially, and this, I know it's going to sound like a cop-out, but it's the truth. When you're looking at temperatures close to the freezing point and you're looking at rain and snow mixed together, it's hard to tell until it gets here, really, what's going to be rain, what's going to be snow. But we are looking at quite a drop in temperatures. And you mentioned those wind gusts. We're also looking at the potential for some blizzard-like conditions. Because while here in Winnipeg, we're looking at gusts near 60 or 70 clicks, there are areas that are forecasting close to around 100 clicks. And those models are consistent with that. So that's not out of the realm of possibility. It's actually closer to more than likely for certain parts of the province. Can you say which ones at this point, Kayla, that might see those triple-digit wind values? Well, we're certainly looking into the southeast corner for sure. That's not only the area that's going to be the windiest, but also see the most rain and the most snow. Uh, and also here in Winnipeg, unfortunately, we are now falling under that area too. But at least here in the city, our snow, we're looking at it being fairly wet, heavy, and sloppy. So I think that will really help when the wind gusts do pick up close to 80 or even 90 clicks, that at least that snow is going to be heavy and sticky. So it'll be a lot harder to blow around just had a listener text in to say they're in Westman, they're driving on the Yellowhead, uh, and they were safely texting, um, snowing at Shoal Lake, which of course is off Highway 16, uh, northwest west of Minnedosa. And so I'm curious, you know, it's already falling there. What's the expectation for when this hits and how long? It feels like it, they're talking about a three-day system, a four-day system, depending on, on what you're looking at, Kayla. It's that extended snow. So what we're having right now kind of crossing over that South Saskatchewan border into areas like Minnedosa, um, those towards Russell, Dauphin, those communities that do find themselves this morning under a snowfall warning. Uh, today, around 10 to 15 centimeters of snow, and that's associated with that cold front that's moving in. We're going to see rain, it seems, later today and through the overnight. But once we really hit the later part of Thursday, Friday, Saturday, that's when we're talking about that Colorado low coming up from the states that could be bringing us our heaviest totals here and like tomorrow for Thursday we're looking right now I would safely say with our models around 10 to 20 millimeters of rain in Winnipeg and around two to four centimeters of snow and then as we hit Friday around five millimeters of rain but around five to ten centimeters of snow. Global's Kayla Evans joining us live on 680 CJOB. Kayla thank you very much for this. Thanks guys. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb in a moment. Loren McNabb got to talk to the D-O-double-G. You'll find out what that means. But before we get to that, question of the day, cjob.com, brought to you by Mr. Furnace. Don't call them first. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furnace, 204-832-6243. Are you required to get a sick note if you miss time at work? 
Yes, for any missed time. Yes, if I take more than one day. Yes, if I take more than three days. Or no, cast your vote at cjob.com. Now, Loren, I've been excited about this. Tell us about this Shoop Dog. Okay, well, the Shoop Dog is, I th- I'm going to guess he's in his 70s, and he's he's a urban planner. He's an expert on all things uh, city and roads and parking and all the rest. And we've been having some great conversations this morning about road rage, for example, pet peeves, like people who don't merge properly or, or people who don't use the zipper merge or people who use that outside lane just to cut you off. Another thing, though, that hasn't come up yet is the rage you might feel when you're in a parking lot and you search for that perfect spot and someone takes it or someone backs almost into you and that concern you might have just when you're looking for parking. So as far as this next expert is concerned, those complaints are unnecessary, especially considering just how much parking we have in Winnipeg to begin with. His name is Dr. Donald Shoup. He's a professor of urban planning at the University of California, and he's also written two books about parking. Do you consider yourself the doctor of parking, or how do you describe your title? Well, sometimes I call myself Shoup Dog. Uh, okay, thank you for adding that music, Brett. That made that perfect. Because he's the Shoop Dog. His website's actually called ShoopDog.com, and it's two full of really interesting... Two Ds. It's S-H-O-U-P-D-O-G-G.com. And the Shoop Dog has a lot of really interesting ideas about parking and urban planning. He's in Winnipeg tomorrow. He's actually in Winnipeg this week and is speaking tomorrow at a, a conference at the convention center about parking. And he says he got into the subject when he realized just how much time and space we dedicate to parking. Take Winnipeg. The city alone manages 11 surface lots, which is about 1,022 stalls in downtown Winnipeg. And then, of course, there's the street parking and private parkades. More space is devoted to parking than to any other use in any city. And you look around in Winnipeg, and I think it's the same thing is true. There's more space for parking than there is for housing or offices or schools or industry or anything else. It's the single biggest land use in any city. Makes a good point, right? Do you ever stop and think about all the parking that's out there? Because often what we focus on is when there isn't parking. But no matter where you go in the city, there is a ton of available space. And Dr. Shoop, or can we just agree we're going to call him the Shoop Dog for the yes. rest of this segment, guys? Shoop okay. Yep. So the Shoop Dog, as I said, uh, has gone to many cities to see what they're doing. He's going to share some of those ideas with the Downtown Biz and Green Action Center tomorrow at that event that I spoke to. And he gets it. He knows no one wants some guy from California coming to Winnipeg to tell us what to do with our parking. But he has some ideas, starting with the idea that parking fares can't have a one-size-fit-all approach. And he believes it should vary from street to street and really depend on the demand. As the right price for on-street parking, by which I mean the lowest price the city can charge and have one or two open spaces on every block. So drivers cannot say, well, there isn't a shortage of parking. You see it everywhere. If there are no spaces open, the price is too low. If there are a lot of spaces open, the price is too high. And if there's just one space open, and the price is just right. You did that with this one here in the exchange because there's one spot open at this surface parking lot. I think there's about nine stalls. You've got one spot open, two bucks for 30 minutes. So that's an example to you of just right. That's right. It means different prices on different blocks and at different times of day. So that could change, you know, from one block over to the next, which I think could cause some confusion. But his his point is that if there's one spot available out of 20, then you're doing it right. If there's 15 spots available out of 20, then you might not be charging enough. And if there's no spots available, then maybe you need to change how many spaces you have out there or the cost you're charging. This next idea is also really cool of his. And I think, Greg, this is kind of something you'll like. Uh, he thinks that cities need to put money back to the street that the parking fares are being collected from. And he uses Pasadena, California, for as example. Apparently, several years ago, it had a real problem with graffiti in a lot of its businesses. And so they changed the parking model so that any money collected from meters went back to cleaning up the street that it was taken from. So he says that changed the way businesses there looked at parking, and he believes that could work here too, particularly in the downtown where parking is actually free after 5.30. That means you have, the city gives people the greatest incentive to cruise for parking during rush hour. You know, when traffic congestion is already worse, you arrange the parking prices so people will say, well, I'll hunt for a curb space. 
So what do we do? Do we change that, extend those hours? What's the solution? I think, uh, uh, yes, I think you should run the meters as long as you need them. Uh, the, there's no arbitrary cutoff of where the supply and demand <laughs> law stops operating. In Pasadena, as soon as the city told the stakeholders, the merchants, the landowners, the uh, and the residents, uh, we'll spend all the meter money in your neighborhood to replace all the sidewalks which were broken and put in historic street lights and street furniture and things like that. The merchants who had previously opposed park meters said, let's run the meters till midnight. Let's run them on Sunday. Let's charge a high price. See, if you know that you can see the benefits and, and, and don't think that they disappear into City Hall to pay for pensions or something like that, you can see the benefits that as soon as you step out of your car, it's like having a cash register at the curb to pay for public services. What do you guys think about that idea? If you knew that the money was going back to that street, would that make a difference for you? One word, brilliant. I like it. I dig the Shoop Dog. I am down <laughs> with the Shoop D-O-double-G. I think we should play that one clip one more time. You know, any, at any point in the show with that music makes me happy. Just drop it in wherever. Yeah. Okay, we will No mend- explanation. But right now we want to start, Loren McNabb, with what is happening, the Global News exclusive on what we've learned about the government and the military. Yeah, and this is the fact that the federal government has drastically reduced its health care budget for the Canadian Armed Forces. It's obviously a controversial move, and what it means is that hospitals will be paid less for helping military members, meaning provinces might be left on the hook for this additional cash that they might have to come up with. And it's raised a whole host of questions for our listeners and, of course, military members this morning. Mercedes Stevenson is the global national reporter who broke this story last night and joins us now. Good morning, Mercedes. Good morning. First, let's just start with who's impacted. Is this veterans as well, or is this just military members? How does the system supposed to work? So this is serving military members primarily because uh, they are without provincial health care. They are the federal government's responsibility. However, it does also involve veterans when it comes to any injuries that they've sustained as a result of their work in the Canadian Armed Forces. That is the federal government's responsibility still, too. So it is affecting both, but it's of a bigger concern for those who are still in uniform because they are completely reliant on the federal government to supply health care. The federal government pays the provinces to do that. Now they're saying that they're sick and tired. Uh, it appears of paying out-of-province rates, which is what the provincial governments have been charging them. And there's hardball on both sides. But what's happening in all of this is concern that for military members who are still in the middle, uh, at at least one Ontario hospital, they're having trouble getting MRI slots. And we're hearing from other military members this morning saying they're starting to have trouble getting care. That seems to be unique to Ontario so far, but there is concern it could spread to other provinces. So, Mercedes, it sounds as though the fee schedule is sort of set by, and you touched on it, this idea, if I move to Ontario and uh, for th- for 90 days I'm still under Manitoba Health, there's a fee schedule in place for certain things that Manitoba will pay for until I get OHIP, as they call it, in Ontario. And that's the same sort of fee schedule that's set up here between the military and the variety of, of provincial insurers? How does that work? Exactly. So there's that out-of-province fee. So if you are even visiting another province and you get sick, then you have to pay a higher fee to use the system because you're not paying into the system. It's the same thing with the military. They're asked to pay a higher fee, or the military is on their behalf, because they're not a part of the provincial health care system. Now, part of what we're looking at as a a whole part of this is is whether that makes any sense. Um, Do they pay into provincial health care? Are they able to receive it when they need it? Why are they paying the higher rate? But this has been the system for many, many years that this has been the situation. And what started to happen is that military health services was having serious trouble with their budget. And they started looking at, well, where can we potentially cut back and went, well, wait a minute, we're paying all these out of province numbers. Maybe we should be paying less. Uh, And that is where this story came from. But yes, it is the situation right now and has been for many, many years that the federal government pays out of province rates when it comes to military members, even if they live in that province. So how is the military community reacting to this, Mercedes? Because at one hand, it really sounds like we have maybe a system problem that needs to be fixed if it's 
being overcharged or if we're having discrepancies between who charges what and where? Or is there outrage at the fact that once again, it seems military members are caught in this limbo situation when it comes to getting what should be the best care for the for Canadians who've put their life on the line? Well, it's it's a system problem. It's a budget problem. It's a problem, frankly, that the military health care system has had for a long time. And if you talk to military members, even moving provinces is very difficult. Trying to get a family doctor every time we move for you and your family. But in this particular case, uh, on the one hand, there's the question about whether or not it's fair for them to be paying into the, the military because the, the members themselves are not paying these fees. Um, but there's the question about should that be how our system works? And there's a lot of partisan friction on this, but neither side is actually answering the question of why this is happening the way it is. Under the Canada Health Act, they are considered a third-party payer. Um, but it, it comes down to, at the end of the day, what does that mean for military members? And it also comes down to the military budget. Why is a budget that was sufficient before suddenly something they're struggling with? And military sources who work in healthcare uh, are telling me that they are looking at higher numbers of people seeking care. This is post-Afghanistan. There's more people who's injured. So they're not getting more money, but they're having to do more with less. And as a part of that, they have to look at places to cut back. This may well be a place they can cut back on, but it's not just a matter of the provinces charging a lot of money to the military. It's also that question of why is the military struggling to be able to pay this? And is the budget big enough there? Mercedes, the idea of any member of the military being treated less than infuriates a great majority of the population. And that that's the story that's really, I think, going to hit close to the heart for people here to imagine that our military members are being treated in this fashion and sort of stuck in the middle. Well, and that's sort of where it comes down to at the end. It, it's an election. And, you know, you put this stuff on social media and you see uh, the Liberals saying that this is Doug Ford's Ontario and the Conservatives saying Justin Trudeau doesn't care about the troops. Yeah, at the end of the day, the reason we're doing this story is because military members are at the center of it and their ability to get care. And they're, they're not like you or I in that they can just walk into a civilian hospital and present a card. Uh, it is much more complicated. They put their lives on the line. So what's happening and how do they find workarounds to deal with this? For example, in the province of Alberta, the health minister has come out and said, we're going to make sure this does not happen to any military members. Uh, so certainly it's something that can be prevented, but this was something we wanted to talk about and to expose before it started to become a widespread problem. Global's Mercedes Stevenson joining us live on 680 CJOB. Thank you very much, Mercedes, as always. Thank you. But right now, Loren McNabb, we want to revisit a conversation we had at 645, and this has to do with a survey from Manitoba Public Insurance. Yeah, the survey is uh, of drivers in Manitoba, and they basically went around asking people how they feel about uh, road rage, so to speak. And it found in this survey, they interviewed well over a thousand people, and they found that three in 10 drivers, three in 10 Manitobans, admit to having committed acts of road rage and being frustrated behind the wheel. And so they're launching this campaign to sort of put the friendly back into our license plate so that you're not shaking your fist at the driver in front of you, but you're trying to remember that, hey, research confirms that those who drive anger have 35% reduced odds of collision involvement. And of course, Brett and Greg, and that got a whole host of us talking about our own road rage experiences. Yeah, and actually, when you, you talk about collisions, I was on Academy, I think last year. <clears throat> so I was heading westbound on Academy and heading towards the, the turnoff for the St. James Bridge, but they often close that turnoff, so then that means everybody has to funnel up to Keniston, and it's just this huge bottleneck. It takes forever to get through. So there were a couple of cars that were trying to get onto Academy from Wellington Crescent South, so I let this woman in a minivan in uh, with the intention of then I would then I would proceed, and then the next person behind me could let the next guy in. Mm-hmm. Well, the next guy tried to shoehorn his way in, so we were we were jockeying, and he ended up hitting the woman in front of him because he was so mad. Uh, so I, I, I just got out of there. So I, he expected he expected you to let two people in. Yeah. Oh, okay. And yeah. he, then he was mad at me for not letting him. Yeah. In. Whatever. Uh, real quick here, one of our loyal listeners, Bob, said, "If you're tailgating me, another pet peeve of a lot of folks. I will spray my wiper washer. If you turn on your wipers, we know you're guilty. If you continue to drive too close, I." St- 
simply stomp on the brakes to save a kitten. You pay both our deductibles. So he means that the back wipers would oh, obviously Oh, no, the front. Shoot. The front. Uh, like in the yeah, newer- but if they're, ta- if they're tailgating you, they're behind you. So he's trying to get water on their windows, and then he knows they're too close if Correct. the water reaches the windows. Got yeah, it. Yeah, from your front, because these new cars now, the windshield wiper uh, pumps are very, very powerful. Hal Anderson is in studio with us to talk about road rage. And Hal, are you an angry driver? You know, I can be. Uh, my wife, when Jackie's with me sometimes, she will remind me, you're Hal Anderson. People, are, you know. So, uh, listen, I don't think there's anything wrong with yelling and swearing. You're in your own via. I mean, not with kids in your car. I know that's part of it, too, right? We're trying to teach the next generation to be good drivers and all that stuff. But Oops. nothing wrong with yelling and swearing, I don't think. Now, when you start doing the rude gestures and things like that, then that can cause other drivers to be enraged. So I understand that. And then he, uh, the extreme actions that can come from it. And they say... You know, anger can be distracting. So I, I get all of that. <sighs> There's a butt here. Is there I don't, a butt? And I don't even know what the butt is because I can't make an argument for for road rage, but boy, there's some frustrating drivers out. And I've probably been frustrating too. What's your pet peeve, Hal? Like, you know, we've had a lot of listeners right in this morning talking about merge lanes or how Well, merge lanes, that don't, lots. yeah. There's so many, Lorraine. <laughs> merge lanes, yes. I mean, it's called a merge lane for a reason. You get up in the lane and merge. You don't sit there. And then the people, the other one I, I mentioned to Jackie the other day, we were in the car. The people that hang a right or a left, and they go across three and four lanes, right? This is my lane. That's your lane. Turn into your lane. I'm turning into my lane. But these people that go these big, wide turns, and then they're you know across two or three lanes. I mean, come on. Turn into the first available Turn lane Turn into of the traffic. first available lane. It's not hard. But people See, make I'm it getting difficult. angry now just talking <laughs> about it. You have the it. squinting eyes, furrowed <laughs> eyebrows. I'm getting a little nervous even sitting next to you here. <laughs> I'm Do you about need to a ask room, Hal? I'm going to turn on my windshield washer fluid here and give you a spray. I was about to ask where he saw that last bad behavior because that might have been me. No, I don't think it was you. <laughs> I'm like, oh, no, Hal, St. Mary's I, Road I, the I other day? Or, no, nope? I, didn't, I didn't see any uh, long red hair, so I, I doubt that it was you. But, yeah, listen, driving is frustrating. I think drivers can be frustrating. Uh, here's what I don't get. It, okay, so say there's a situation where you, you're 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 turning and you're going in front of a lane of traffic. Okay? okay, it's not even close, but the guy thinks you're it's close, and he gives it a honk or a finger or a we're we're that's gone now. I I turned, there was no issue. It's okay. Why why at that? I mean, it's one thing to be in a situation where you go, this guy needs to know that what he's doing right now is an issue, dangerous, whatever. But if I've already turned and I'm onto the street and there was no problem and honking and, you know, that doesn't make any the sense. The flailing arms in the rearview mirror, that's the one that gets me. And mm-hmm. you can yeah. tell someone's yelling at you. You can't yeah. hear them. One of our listeners, I can't read it now, but went into great detail about an experience that was very similar to one I had the other day. And, of course, guess what? We were basically bumper to bumper for the next five blocks. Mm-hmm. You were infuriated because I was only driving 45 in a 50. I wasn't driving 70 in a 50 like you like to. There you go. Hey, I got it out. We just got a great text from a listener, and I wanted to mention it because, Hal, you brought up the idea that, you know, the swearing's okay as long as the kids aren't in the car. Yeah. Well, listener Mike texts to say, when I'm involved with an idiot on the road, I say, love you to them when the kids are in the car, but it looks to the idiot like I'm saying <laughs> something, something else. Right. Something else. That's a good one. I'm going to use that one. <laughs> I love I like you. That. Yes, that's great. Yeah, we've got, uh, and we're also asking the question about road rage stories on our Facebook page for your opportunity to win tickets for the Mavericks and a meet and greet with the band when they play at the Burton Cummings Theatre. And Kathy says, picture it. Sicily, 1927. That, that's just kidding. That's a Golden Girls, right? Is that, uh, was her name Estelle? <laughs> Estelle, yeah. Uh, picture it, Sicily. No, she says, picture it. Portage in Mount Royal, one snowy afternoon. I'm at a stoplight. There's a guy in a small car beside me in the curb lane. We're waiting for the light to change, and he starts revving his motor like he's going to try to get in front of me. He keeps looking over at me as if to say, I'm going to do this, so be ready. All of a sudden, the light changes. He takes off, zip. He goes in front of me. All of a sudden, his car is fishtailing. I'm behind him now. He does a complete 360, I guess 180, because now he's facing me. He stops. 
I stop. He gets out of his car, comes running at mine, and starts banging on my hood like it's my fault. Wow. I quickly lock my doors because it's me and my kids in my vehicle. He's screaming profanities at me, and other cars are now stopped as well, yelling at me to keep my doors locked. Then he gets back in his car, takes off full speed, and not a block or two up Portage, I see his car now up on the curb and damaged from hitting a tree. L-O-L. Mm-hmm. That's what you call justice. Yeah. yeah. And Kathy called it karma at its best. Mm-hmm. But also, very scary and a prime example of how rage can take us over. And Hal, you have sort of stumbled upon something here that I think is a healthy expression of rage. Well, we're talking about road rage. The Philadelphia Flyers of the NHL (laughs) have the very first rage room. And as you know, Greg, Flyers fans are known as an angry bunch. Philadelphia fans, period. They boo and throw snowballs at yep. Santa Claus or right. those that are dressed in Santa Claus type suits. So yes, they have quite the reputation. So we're talking about road rage, not good, but apparently in Philly uh, at, uh, what is it, Wells Fargo Center, they have a room where rage is actually encouraged. Take a listen. This is actually the first rage room in a sports venue, and it's now available for you guys to use, you crazy Philadelphia fans, to get out all your rage during a game. I'm going to try it out just so we can see... How it works. <laughs> it's really cool to do the thing you were told your whole childhood you can't do. Uh, I smashed a TV, which I'll tell you, harder than you think um, to, to smash up like that. But I think I did a pretty good job. They got guitars, you can smash TVs. <laughs> Baseball bats. You so, can smash TVs? Yes. Who's who's bringing in all the... Uh, well, I'm sure it's, it's... Yeah, just, you know, junk it's TVs. It's all the tube TVs. The right. old tube TVs. Yeah. This is yeah. actually... This is interesting. Is this where we're at? Because maybe it's a healthy way. You know, get it out. And oh. then you're not doing it in front of other people. You're not... Like, your kids aren't watching you be it. You know, but that's kind of my point. You know, in one way we say, do it. It's good. Go. And then we're saying, but don't do it in the car. So are we encouraging road rage... By allowing and encouraging rage in other ways in other areas. Just channeling it. Yeah, I think this is a this is a healthy expression. They're saying this is an acceptable zone for you to take it out right. rather than take it out yeah. on someone else. We actually, there, Charles Adler, many years ago, he spoke with a psychiatrist uh, regularly. Erwin uh, Kotler, I think was his name. And he said something that kind of caught us both off guard when I was his technical producer. He said he would encourage his patients to fantasize about hurting people. Because he says if you have anger issues, if you think about hurting somebody, then you can just take a breath after and move on with your day. But if you try to bottle up your anger, then it might be expressed in unhealthy ways. So he figured just Mm. focus on something. Just, you know, there's no, because you're not hurting anybody when you're thinking about something. That's at least what was his theory was. Escape room, rage room. Yeah. Channeling some of these different things. Maybe. Different parts of our brain or emotions. Mm-hmm. I think it's a good idea. Yeah. You want to open one? Sure, I, let's do I it. I think this is great. I think we should turn the boss's office into a rage room. <laughs> you can come into work oh, and be like. trust me. I've been in there for the odd meeting where it is turned into a rage room. <laughs> <laughs> Dan Kulak is with Environment Canada, and he is uh, the one that's going to help us figure out what the heck's coming our way, because there's all sorts of different protect- predictions going on. Good morning, Dan. Good morning. We're going to try to make sense of this. Okay, so let's just start with that. But, you know, we were saying earlier today, depending on which app you use or which model you're watching, there's all sorts of different estimates for not only the snowfall amounts, but the winds that could be coming and even blizzard-like conditions. What are we expecting at this point? Right now, there is, as you say, a little bit of, uh, as meteorologists talk about things, uh, model inconsistency, which means the numerical models, the predictions that we have, that we generally rely on for these longer-term forecasts beyond the first 36 to 48 hours. Uh, there's a still a little bit of disagreement between what's going on, but the general trend is that a Colorado low system is going to be moving towards basically northwestern Ontario and affecting southern Manitoba into basically Thursday night, Friday, and perhaps part of the weekend here. Right now, the rain-snow boundary 
looks to be right around the Winnipeg area, maybe going back and forth a couple times with the greater probability of snowfalls further to the west of the Red River Valley. So really, uh, the, the cool front coming through today is just the setup, I think, for what's going to be coming in about 48 hours. And I'm looking at, for example, AccuWeather, one of the apps I have on my phone. I don't really rely on AccuWeather for long-term stuff, but they're... I, I took a look at what they had to say for Saturday because my buddy's getting married on Saturday at Pine Ridge Hollow. They're saying blizzard, 10 to 15 centimeters of snow, wind 46 kilometers an hour, up to 120 kilometers an hour. That's crazy. It, there's a lot of uh, different models you see the interpretations of going on, and you know there's subtleties in the meteorology in terms of how these lows develop and where the essentially what we call like a low-level jet might set up in terms of these systems and what the pressure gradient, which is another fancy term of you know how deep is this low and how rapidly uh, does the pressure change as you move uh, away from the center of the low. These things all determine wind speeds and other factors, and so you get the different models coming up with these different ideas. I think the bottom line though is you're going to have a big change in the weather here. We had like 19 degrees in Winnipeg for a high yesterday. Uh, it basically seven this morning and probably going down uh, from there for part of the day and then just realizing that uh, where this low actually sets up whether it comes through Winnipeg or goes through Kenora or something like that is going to make a huge change in what's happening for Southern Man on the weekend. So Dan sometimes we joke about this idea that Winnipeg has this force field around it as as uh, quite often in the fall and in the spring these snow storms will be looking like they're barreling right down on downtown Winnipeg and they'll make a a left or a right turn and uh, so uh, we know that this is not really a phenomenon but it feels like it sometimes how windy could it get and where uh, essentially, I think the biggest winds could be Red River Valley here because we do get the funneling from the north northwest down the valley there. Basically, uh, we could maybe see like those fifty, seventy, maybe even greater winds. But again, it depends on everything coming together just right or just wrong, depending on your perspective on these things, as to whether you're going to get the maximum potential wind speeds uh, based on the information we have available at least right now, which is going to change as the next twenty-four hours evolve. So, if this snow comes and we get past it, and we all survive as we hope to. Uh, is the forecast looking like it warms up enough and that snow disappears by Tuesday, Wednesday? You know, the, ob- the obvious thing that everybody hopes for is that, you know, we get through this event, and it's going to probably stay cool, though, afterwards. So what we do get, there's some heat in the ground still, so some of that snow is going to initially melt when it falls. Uh, we're not looking, I think, at the, the onset of the ice age for the winter kind of thing this uh, this time around here. But I think there's certainly potential for some warmer weather. And if we get into, like, the 7- to 10-day time frame, and some of the indications are that we, you know, basically back in, but to kind of like a nice fall weather pattern for at least a little bit. All right, Dan Kulak with Environment Canada joining us live on 680 CJOB. Dan, thank you for this. Thank you as well. Hey, thanks for listening to the Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think. And hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG. That's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global. And on Instagram, at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.